where, you know, you don't have large swaths of equity checks chasing these 20, $30 million deals, driving up prices. You know, we, we closed a deal um, uh, two years ago that was still owned by the family that built it in the 70s. So, you know, you, you rarely, rarely see that when you're talking about much larger assets. Um, not to say it doesn't happen, but we, we've leveraged a success that we've had to really try to be able to compete really well. A great book can totally challenge your conventional thinking and change your life for good. However, some of us just don't have the luxury of time of sitting down to read a book. But there are some instances in which we do have dead time. And these are perfect times to learn. So we can learn while driving instead of jamming to the same music on the radio. Or maybe at the gym. Well, now you can. Dwelling has partnered with Amazon's Audible to give you, the Dwell listeners, a free book. Yes, a free book. So all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash dwelling and download your free book. This will also be in the show notes. You can click on the link. And if you don't have a book in mind and you say, Ola, I don't actually know where to start with. Well, awesome, because I can tell you one to start with today. It's a quintessential classic. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So download Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that would basically just take your mind on a different spin. Of course, I'm always open to hear um, from our Dwell listeners. So email me at ola at dwelling.com. And then feel free to also give us a rating and review. This really helps us to rank better in iTunes. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got an incredible and pretty funny guest with us today, Josh Etten. Etten? Uh, no, Edgon. I just butchered that, but Josh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Doing well. Good to be here. Thank, thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. Um, Josh, I, I'm sure you can do a way better job than I can. Can you just kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you've been doing, and kind of what you've been doing lately, actually? Sure. Sure. I'd love to. Um, so like you said, my name's Josh Eidengon. Um, I've been investing in real estate since back in 2012. Um, I sort of got into this world pretty entrepreneurially when I was, I was working for a software company and, uh, I just, I read a lot of books, probably like a lot of listeners do rich dad, poor dad, and ABCs are investing and a lot of common books. And it just made very, uh, it made sense. So I, um, I jumped in, I, I was connected to a property manager in the Midwest. He helped find me a short sale deal. And um, while I was still living at home, um, paying my dad rent to live in my own bedroom, I, um, I, I basically syndicated a 20 unit property um, as a short sale in Cincinnati. And it was distressed, occupied by four tenants of the 20 and um, worked to turn that around basically. Um, from there, I, w I was hooked and trust me, it wasn't easy. And I, I got a little bit beat up as part of it, but ended up being a success and um, kept doing a deal or so a year. Uh, ultimately left software, went into real estate full time, first as like an analyst then an acquisitions guy, where much of my responsibility was flying around the Southeast to just uncover opportunities for multifamily investing for pretty, for larger deals, 200 unit plus deals. And um, after four or five years with them, then I, I peeled off 
um, co-founded DXE Properties, which is our investment group here. Um, and, you know, our, our focus has been predominantly multifamily uh, value add. I, I really leveraged a lot of the relationships that I had built just professionally um, to, to bring in-house. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking for what a lot of people are looking for, the value add, something with a story off market, just trying to create some unique value. And, and then we, we also have done a few opportunis opportunistic projects um, a little more locally. We own neighborhood retail. Um, we've done a couple condo, pro smaller condo projects. And um, yeah, just looking to grow organically, uh, basically two, maybe three deals a year. And um, hope to be around for a very long time. Yeah, thank you so much for that introduction. Really appreciate it. Um, you said a bunch of things that I want to touch on. I mean, I love the fact that your dad is making you pay rent. I wish I could charge my <laughs> babies. I mean, she's only three and one is two months old. I wish I can charge them rent. Um, <laughs> but um, that's going to definitely keep you on your toes, right? And make, you, and make you also a little bit more. So 20 units, that's, so you, wait, let's go back. So you were reading all this, you were reading all these books, you know, ABC of Real Estate Investing, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the quintessential classic, right, for many real estate entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And then you went from that to a 20 unit. That's pretty impressive. I mean, can you kind of walk us through um, how did you find that deal? How did you fund it? And just kind of the story, what you learned, the good and bad, because you said it was a bit of a struggle. Trust me, I can imagine. Um, sure. So just kind of tell us a little bit more about that story. Uh, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll put a bunch of disclaimers out there because I think um, that investment, while I think I did a lot right in just identifying value, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's risky to jump into. Um, at the time, I was, so I was 25 and really felt like I had very little to lose. Um, I was looking at a lot locally. I'm, I'm on Long Island, New York. And it's just, it's very, very challenging to buy existing rental property that, that just makes economic sense. So I, I was looking at similar price, like four families um, to maybe live in one and rent out the other three. But I, I just, um, I, I was attracted to the potential yield in, in some of the markets outside of where I lived. Um, you know, for better or worse, I think there's risk associated with any strategy for sure. Um, and much of the risk for that first deal was just managing a renovation from, you know, halfway across, across the country. Uh, but I was connected to a property manager. I did a lot of local just networking, went to RIAs, and it was a property manager that another investor had worked with. And I, uh, I just spoke to him a lot. I went out there into the market, met with him, and um, he he understood what I was looking for and he helped find this opportunity that was off market directly working with the servicer at the bank. Um, and I basically paid him a wholesale fee to buy it. And then he managed it also and, and helped implement the value add plan. So that's awesome. So it was a, a property that was in foreclosure, right? So this property management um, company helped you with kind of, repositioning the asset. Do you still own that asset right now? How is it doing? Did you get rid of it? What are the major, major things that you learned? For somebody maybe who is thinking of going into multifamily and probably starting at a kind of 20 unit mark? So ended up getting rid of it. Um, held it at probably 18 months or so. So this was 2012. Um, you know, the, the world sort of um, starting to bounce back from a recession. And um, 
we turned it around pretty well. The, the issue and what we found was just the size was very difficult to um, achieve some real consistency. So 20 units, we really didn't have too much scale from an operating perspective. Uh, so, you know, we saw income and expenses very lumpy and jumping all over the place and just didn't see it as a long-term fit. Um, so sold it. It was, I, I made a good, um, especially at my age, I made a good amount of money and was, re and was really excited to just be able to show like end-to-end -end success um, and then move on, move on to the next one. I think, uh, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. It's probably worth, yeah, 50% more than it was uh, seven years ago. But I, I definitely wouldn't have done anything different on that first one in terms of just exiting. It's just, uh, it, it's tough, especially C-class. It was definitely a C-class deal or a C-minus deal on location. Those are very difficult um, to run without any real scale from a unit count perspective. Yeah, so exited the deal you did. What was your, your next deal? And was that also kind of, you know, in the same area or did you kind of change strategies a little bit? Um, what was that like? Yes. So the second deal also, same market. It was in Cincinnati, also found through that same property manager. Um, I would say, and that, that one was fine, a little bit less of a success than the first, but um, it was larger, it was 44 units and it, it was a step up. And that was another, not also not long-term. We held that for two or three years and um, did one last deal in the market, a 62 unit deal, and then really shifted focus to the Southeast for everything moving forward. Wow. So you kind of went from, you said 20 units and then 40 something and then 62. So you're definitely kind of moving up a little bit. Um, at what point do you think, oh, wow. Okay. So now I need to, you know, kind of go up a little bit, you know, how, how are you making those decisions to kind of scale up? So part of it's opportunistic that um, I'm, I'm letting the deal dictate uh, in some cases, whether or not I'm, I'm willing to do it. Uh, but, you know, for us now, you know, we're, we're big believers in the, I'll call it small to midsize multifamily space still. So I'll, I'll define that as like five to $15 million in acquisition price. We really can't do a deal smaller than $5 million just because, you know, we're, we're syndicating it. We're making a small fraction of that deal. Um, so it just has to be worth our time, energy, effort. But in the same breath, we just really believe there's more unique opportunities in that less institutional space, sub $15 million, where you know you don't have large swaths of equity checks chasing these $20, $30 million deals, driving up prices. You know, we, we closed a deal um, uh, two years ago that was still owned by the family that built it in the 70s. So you, know, you, you rarely, rarely see that when you're talking about much larger assets. Um, not to say it doesn't happen, but we, we've leveraged the success that we've had to really try to be able to compete really well against the people that are in that, uh, I call it in-between space, deal size-wise. Yeah, fascinating. Really, really fascinating. So one thing I, you mentioned as well as the beginning was you used to work in software and then you kind of fully transitioned into DXC. Um, just kind of curious for those maybe who are working at this point, did you think you had any skills from your job to, to now run in DXC? And if so, what were those skills? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I would say much of what I did was project management on the software side. So I think um, organizationally, uh, there was definitely a, a benefit to that background. Um, you know, there, there was some Excel exposure. So that was certainly helpful from a modeling perspective. Um, but, you know, I, I think more broadly, just the project management side really uh, transferred well to the owner operator syndicator role with DXE. So DXE, what does that look like today? You know, um, how, how is the business like and kind of what are your hopes for, for the nearest future here? Sure. So we've done about $50 million of acquisitions. Um, we, like I said earlier, I mean, we, we never want to be in a place where we're forced to do, you know, 10 deals in a year. We're just not built for it. Um, I think what we do really well is just operate lean, low overhead. We always, we are partnering with property managers in the markets that we're in that in most cases are large, large property managers that are working with us much because of the relationship that I've had with them in the past. So we think that even with these mid-sized deals, we're able to leverage sort of a higher level of, of management and oversight from us uh, to really just be able to drive value. Um, we will probably do 20, 20, $25 million worth of acquisitions this year. And um, by the end of next year, 2021, we hope to do, uh, have done $100 million worth of acquisitions. So, um, you know, this business definitely benefits from, from scale and size and, and, and continuing to increase. But, um, you know, us, like everyone, we're a little cautious about a lot of the unknowns that are floating around today. Yeah, that's really fascinating, though, because, yeah, typically, you know, syndicators just want to grow, 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 grow and grow, you know, um, to like $100 billion or whatever. But I kind of really find what you guys are doing kind of similar in some form to what we're doing here at Dwelling. I mean, it's really understanding who you are, what you're built for and what you can take not only as a business, but as a person, right, as an individual. level. I think that's um, quite refreshing to to hear. Um, so you also went into retail. So are you guys thinking of maybe going kind of, you know, in different asset classes or do you kind of want to stay in your lane, I guess, um, in multifamily? Well, I think um, I can't answer that without like mentioning COVID-19. I think it's tough <laughs> to uh, give, a, give an honest yes, response to that. Yes, because retail got crushed a, a ton, obviously, retail by COVID-19. absolutely got crushed. Um, we just did an update um, for our retail investments this week for close out of Q2 or this past week. And, um, you, you know, we were reading, I think it was Wall Street Journal, 65% of collections for um, retail just across the country. So scary, scary time to be in retail. Um, I, I think we got in sort of late. We, we bought these retail deals a year and a half ago in both cases. Um, both of them are neighborhood shopping centers, which fortunately have held up really well, held up really well. One anchored by a CVS that was essential and never closed. Then we also have a Dunkin' Donuts in there and a bank that, that have really held up well. And then the other, the other one is, um, is like a laundromat and a deli where we're fortunately that that's 
a segment of retail that has held up well. And that was our, our thesis that we could create some value just because people are afraid of retail. Um, I, I think that uh, those are doing well, they should continue to do well, but um, I don't know that I have the stomach to buy, buy into retail right now. I think it's just very, very scary. There's a lot of retail in the country. Um, you know, we're, we're perhaps overbuilt to an extent and, and I just, it's, uh, I don't know that I have the stomach for it. I think you have to have a long-term outlook to be able to get into it now. Yeah, um, you're a smart man. Well, I think you mentioned something really, really important, though. When you look at retail, though, it's, it's the essential retail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't anticipate to have another pandemic anytime soon. Um, we're, we're still in one. Um, but at least if you were to go into retail, you really want to understand the dynamics of, okay, if I go into retail, is it a CVS or is it you know, some other retail business that is really, really susceptible to, to, you know, a pandemic. That's something for us as investors that we need to start thinking about now, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the whole world has gotten flipped and obviously, you know, most importantly, just a personal health, you know, scare concern, but more than that, the, the asset class is that we're perceived to be really safe and like the, the darlings of student housing and, um, you know, some sort of assisted living or retirement housing it completely got flipped and you would have never seen that coming. That's supposed to be the most safe niche that you could be in, so to speak. Um, and then everyone just pressed pause immediately. So, you know, broadly speaking, longer term, I think both will be fine. Um, but for good reason, there's a lot of question right now in those spaces. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. I mean, we're going into the the quick rounds. Um, These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, sir? Sure. All right. First question. Um, What makes you just unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? Well, I think it's experience driven. Um, I I think that that I've had a lot of exposure to a really broad range of deals, starting with that small 20 unit deal to, you know, directly acquiring $100 million worth of just acquisitions from a professional perspective. Um, and then tie that into my partner who has an institutional background. He's managed over a billion dollars worth of capital projects. So we have just a really broad range of, of exposure and types of projects we've been involved in. Awesome. Second question, what was the last book that you read and what was the one thing you picked up from that book? Oh, I, uh, oh, this is going to drive me crazy. I can't, uh, Powerhouse Principles. So, um, uh, Jorge Perez, Miami, sort of like the co-founded related, it's, uh, sort of a, it is by one of the, one of the um, biggest real estate developers in the country. Yep. Jorge Perez and... Yeah, yep. I and know. Um, and it's just a great story, especially I, I love the coming from nothing story and really just growing, putting it together himself. It's not overly technical, but it's not. It's also not uh, overly fluffy. So I, I I liked it, and you could see his personality coming through in, in the book. So a good, easy, easy going to sleep type read. Yeah, those guys are money. I think he partnered up with um, Stephen Ross of the Stephen related, Ross, yep. yeah, related company. I read, I read the story. I read another, another book as well. And those guys 
basically built the condominiums in Miami back in the day, in the heyday. So yeah, great book. Yeah, 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 yeah great book. Um, final question. Obviously, you're running DXC properties. You've got a ton going on. You're running a business. You're closing deals. What do you do for fun? Ah, um, so I, I also have a young, uh, young, young child. Only one. I have a, a year Congrats. old. Baby Congrats! Here. Thank you. So, um, you know, we're we're around friends and family mostly. Um, obviously, trying to be as responsible as possible these days but um we, we love a good barbecue we're we're near the water so we like the beach and uh you know that's that's my uh <laughs> that's my escape COVID, yeah bit. that's that's what we call it <laughs> that's what we call fun during the COVID-19 times I totally exactly. can relate yeah um <laughs> if there's somebody um listening to this show and going wow I really want to maybe connect with Josh or I really like what I'm hearing what's the best place people can reach out to you get to know you better our website's probably best, dxeproperties.com. Um, my email address is on there, or you could just reach out by contact us and always happy to connect. Josh, appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking time out today. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.